Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So we're continuing here in Hebrews chapter 11. And what Brian, Pastor Brian's been talking about these past few weeks as we've been diving into this chapter is this word called faith, this thing that, that we um, use in a lot of different ways. I have faith in this and faith in that. And so the question becomes is, what, what is this word? I mean, what is it? Where's the weight of this word? What is it? We, we kind of use that in a lot of contexts and a lot of different ways in our language. But I, I want to I kind of argue that where does it come from? Like, is, is faith something we just kind of make up? That, that it's, you know, I can, I can say, well, I have faith in this. Well, where did that come from? That, it's, it's a, faith is, is something I just believe in something. And that, that's a way to use that term. But I think we have to be very careful when we're talking about that type of faith. And maybe that's not even the right word to be used there. But then there's a Christian faith. So we would say, well, are you a person of faith? And someone says, yes, I'm a person of faith. What does that tell you? It just tells you they have a belief system that they believe in. It doesn't mean that they're a Christian. It doesn't mean that they aspire and believe in in God and that he sent his son into the world. It it just means they're a person of faith. And so if you would ask a Mormon or a, uh, a, a Jehovah's Witness or a is someone that believes in Allah, they, they say, are you a person of faith? Yes, I'm a person of faith. And so we have to be very careful. It's like, well, is that the same faith as the Christian faith? Is, is that all equal? And I would say, no, it's not. And so the, the challenge here is, well, why? Why is that? Well, well, biblically, so we have to go to Scripture and say, what does God say about faith? If, if God is the one kind of determining what it is, what, is, what does it mean that we, as Christians, that we have faith? What's well, the first thing that we see in Scripture is that Faith is a gift of God. So is God giving everyone faith to believe in something? No. Because biblical faith is God doing something in us that allows us to believe in him and transforms us. And so here's a difficult theological concept for some people. What must we do to be saved, we must believe. But yet, Scripture says we can't believe because we're dead. And so God gives us faith so that we can believe. So God has to do something in us so that we can believe and activate our faith so that then we can become born again. And all of that happens just like that, all at the same time. It's not that we conjure up faith on our own part outside of separate from God and then believe and then God comes in and saves us. Because what we've done, that would be a works-based type of situation, not dependent upon God, dependent on the human will. However, we have a responsibility to believe. Scripture is very clear about that. That when we understand the truth, we must believe. And so God, in his providential way, his glorious way of, of transforming us, gives us faith so that we can act upon that faith. And in that process, causes us to be born again. Scripture says we, begin a, we get a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. We've said many times here in John chapter 3, right, we are born again. Jesus telling Nicodemus that, that the Spirit of the living God comes in and resides in us at that moment. And so, faith is a gift and it comes from God. And so, as we've been talking about faith, I just want to make sure that 
we're clear on, on when we say, are you a person of faith? If you say yes in the Christian context, you're saying that God has caused me to be born again and given me faith to believe in him. So, I want to share with you a few ways, though, that in our Christian community, um, and I say that's globally, that sometimes we have to be careful of that word faith as well, though. Because there are movements called the word of faith movement. And that's this idea that if we believe strongly enough that God will do it. That we, if we will believe, then God will give us what we're asking for. Because we've believed and he is mandatory to give it to us because we have acted on this faith and now he must give it to us. And that's a very, very dangerous belief. And I think it's unbiblical. We are called to believe and God does act upon our belief. But he is under no obligation to give us what we are believing for. Many in the televangelist world, very well-known people sometimes, and I'm not saying they're not Christian, that's, that's between God and them, will preach that they, if you believe, then this will happen. That is not a biblical concept. And I could go into an hour's worth of things on why that is not biblical. And so when we talk here, what, what the writer here in Hebrews is doing is reminding the, his readers here, who remember are, are Jews, are Hebrews, they're very familiar with all of their history. They have a rich history of people. And, and remember in verses, in chapters 3 and 4, the writer's talking about their unbelief, the, the, their parents were un, not faithful in the wilderness and they turned away from God and that, that's why they wandered in the wilderness for, for 40 years. And, and so he's, he's telling the whole story. But today in the text, we're going to talk about, he's going to highlight when they did believe. And it's going to be this huge contrast to when we do believe and we have faith, how we see God work in individual lives and in a nation and when we are disobedient and how we do not have faith and how that looks, and he's already covered that in the first few chapters of Hebrews. And so, there's a purpose here to faith. It is really the big idea for you this morning. Faith is a gift of God to change us into the people of God. See, faith is not something that God has given us so that we can um, activate that to get all the worldly things we want. It's not like this secret little code that I can use or, or this thing I need to do in a certain way or if I believe hard enough that I'm going to get all the worldly things that I want to be able to meet my needs. No, faith is something that God gives us as a gift to transform us into a people of God, into the image of his son. And so as we think through this, I just want you to be thinking that way. And if, and if faith is a gift and it has a purpose, and the purpose is to transform us, then, then today I want to look at the text and I want to see four things that, that faith does to change us. All right? Four things that faith does to change us. Now, I'm just going to tell you what these four things are and then we're going to cover them, right? The first one, what, what does faith do? Faith changes what we fear. Right? Anybody have fear? I, I, am, I am loaded with fear at times. We, we fear all sorts of things, right? Faith changes what we fear. That's one thing we're going to look at. Faith changes what we choose. So what we believe and what we have faith in, what we believe, determines our choices in life, what we choose. And we're going to see that clearly in Scripture here, demonstrated in the life of Moses. Number three, 
Faith changes what we trust in. Where do, where do we place our trust? We're going to see that demonstrated in Moses' life. And finally, ultimately, and maybe the most important thing, faith changes our future. It changes our future destiny, our future life, where we're going to spend eternity. Faith changes that, how we act on that faith. Okay? So those are the four things we're going to look at. So let's, let's dive in. Let's look at the first one. Faith changes what we fear. Fear, um, like I said, consumes many people. It, at times it has consumed me. Uh, there's all sorts of types of fear. We, we fear the loss of a job. We fear um, income issues. We fear relationship issues. But the biggest thing we fear is what people will think about us. You heard it even in the testimony video from, um, from Nora. I, I was worried what people would think. I was afraid and while she didn't express it this way, she did in terms of, to me, Mara was afraid about what people would think, that she would, that the, that the credit and the glory would be about her. And, and it really kept her from stepping into her faith and doing what really, what I believe and what I think they believe and understand that, and they wanted to do was to step forward and get baptized. But yet fear paralyzed them. But they pushed into it. And so, Let's look at the text here in verse 11, or chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 23. It says, by faith, when Moses, when he was born, by, well, excuse me, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. All right. So, but really, before we can dive in, and I can begin to pull this out, because this whole thing that we're going to cover here in these eight verses is really the life in the history of Moses and, his, and how God has used him. And so I want to kind of go back and kind of build this picture for you of who he was. First of all, um, if you want to take you back many years, Israel, right, uh, Jacob had 12 sons, and, and Joseph, one of his sons, uh, was basically, um, his brothers didn't like him. They, they put him in prison. They basically sold him into slavery. And, and he becomes um, very close to a, a guy in, the, in Pharaoh's kingdom, a guy in Potiphar. And then things happen, and Pharaoh then has favor upon Joseph. And Joseph now, removed from his family, is, is doing great, is very high up, in, in fact, maybe the second to highest to Pharaoh in the Egyptian kingdom. But he's an Israelite. He's a Hebrew. And long story short, his family comes, and there's a famine, and he protects his family. He unites with his brothers, and they have a great relationship. Pharaoh says, bring your family. You can stay under our kingdom and, and just get all the benefits of being in the kingdom and the land. And so they do. And so they prosper. The, the Hebrew family prospers. Jacob's family prospers. And Jacob becomes Israel. And over many years, Israel grows into a, a large community, a large um, nation of people under Pharaoh. Well, that Pharaoh dies and another Pharaoh comes. And that Pharaoh says, wow, this, this group of people is getting pretty big. <laughs> and um, if they decide to turn on us, if they decide to partner with our enemies, we're going to be in trouble. We can't have that. And so let's enslave them. And so they enslave the Hebrews. And they get them to build their cities, and they get to make their bricks, and, and they have taskmasters over them, and, and they, they're slaves. And so then he's still fearful. 
So he tells the, the midwives, the women that are they're helping the Hebrew women have children, he tells the midwives, he says, when a, when a son is born, when a boy is born, as soon as the son is born, I want you to kill it. Because I, I don't want the Hebrew nation to grow anymore with men. Because they'll be the warriors. And I don't want that. And so the midwives, well, they don't want to do this. And so they basically tell Pharaoh, oh, we're, we, we can't, we, every time we get there, I love how they put this, every time we get there, the Hebrew women are so, so strong, and, and so they already have their children before we make it there, and so we can't do that. And so what does Pharaoh do? He says, okay, he makes an edict, which is what was just said here in verse 23, to the whole land that every Hebrew boy born will be put to death. And so there's this couple that has this little baby boy named Moses. And we see here, in verse 23, the author is writing of him. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was born under this edict, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, his parents hid him under the risk of death. Not just death for Moses, probably for death for them. So they risked their life to keep their son alive. It says, for they saw that he was, that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So see, faith changed. They believed in God here. I want to I take you to something here that is, is a little, we're not sure about this exactly, and, and this is kind of debated a little bit, but it says, he was hidden for three months. It says, because they saw that the child was beautiful. Okay, I want to ask you a question. Do you think if they had an ugly baby, they would have went ahead and sacrificed him? No. So this word here, the way this is used, it's a little confusing because it says, oh, because they saw beauty in their son, they decided to save their son. No, I think all of us would save any child that God gives us, right? We would do that for everyone. And so the question is, what, is, what, do, we, what do we think? We don't, we don't know for sure, but what are we kind of thinking here? Now, remember that faith is a gift of God. I believe that somehow God is obviously working for his, his purposes, his salvation ultimately. He's going to use Moses to deliver his people. No one knows this. This family doesn't know this. This husband and wife don't know this yet. But somehow he gives them an affection for this child. He lets them peek into to something more um, divine when they look at this child. And they see something and they know they need to trust God and try and save this little boy. And that's what they do. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, puts it a little differently. I think this is Stephen retelling the story here. It says, at this time, Moses was born, and when he was, excuse me, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. So here the text is saying he was beautiful in God's sight. In other words, God was looking down and saying, I am going to use this young boy for my purposes. I'm going to deliver my people, and he's going to be a part of that process. And so he gives this family this faith to trust him. And so what do they do? They, they make this little basket. They put their little son in it. And, and the daughter of Moses goes out in the Nile, and she pushes him out into the river. And as it's going down river, she's watching it, and she's keeping an eye on it because she wants to see what happens to her brother. And Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the water with all her servants, and they see this basket. 
And Pharaoh's daughter sends a woman and she goes and the servant gets the basket and brings it back to Pharaoh's daughter and they open it up and they realize it's a little Hebrew baby. She understood what was going on. She knew the edict. She knew the the heartbreak, the tragedy of all of the, the Hebrew women. And for some reason, as a mother, God is appealing to that and saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with me keeping this child. It won't be a Hebrew ultimately. It'll be ours and he won't rise up against us. This, I, just want, I don't want to put this little baby boy to death. Isn't it different when all of a sudden it's in your arms? How life is changes when it's right there with you? And so she decides she wants to keep this baby. I love how God works this out though. So what does God do? Well, Moses' sister is still watching and so she, now, now remember, Moses is three months old. He still needs to be weaned and fed, right? He still needs to be fed. There, there was no Similac and, and baby food and Gerber and all that hadn't come yet, right? And so what does is, what is the little sister do? She goes to Pharaoh's daughter and to the servants and says, I see that you have this baby and he's young. Do you need a Hebrew woman to nurse that child? Well, yes, I do. Would you take him and take care of him and then bring him back when he's fully weaned? Absolutely. So where do you think she takes her? Takes him to his mother. And so gets him back. And so now the mother, God has already given her a sense that she's acted on faith and he's providing. He's, he's already letting her know, I've got this. You stepped out and I'm, I'm, I'm going to act on that faith. And so they raised Moses wean him, we don't know at what age, but, but then we see that now Moses goes back to Pharaoh's daughter and he lives basically in the kingdom uh, under Pharaoh and under Pharaoh's daughter. And so this idea that, look at what they did when they stepped in to their fear. They risked their life so that they could save their child, having no idea what God was going to do in that act of faith. And they still don't know at this point. I think about Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the family that is overseas and uh, with their three young children, their three young boys, and um, I've talked to them many times, and, and, you know, do you think there was any fear on their part to move to another country and to take their three little children under five and live in a, a nation that is, is hostile against Christianity? Good people. I mean, I'm not saying they're not some good people. Great Muslims, very friendly people, friendly friendly country. They just are hostile to Christianity. They don't like Christians. They don't want people to proselytize. They don't want that. To leave all their family, I'm sure that there was some fear in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But yet they felt that God was leading them to do that. And so they stepped out. And faith caused them to fear differently. It caused them to change what they feared. Now they feared not being honoring to God, not, not following the direction that God has given them. It wasn't that they were fear of man. Now they weren't afraid of what was going to happen to them. Yes, that's still reality. They still need to be wise, but, but they were stepping into that. I think of our culture and, and once again, what if, one of the things that we're afraid of, and, and we are so self-absorbed with what people think about us. Me too. Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, it's all about putting a an image out there so that people will think a certain way and and all of that is is this facade that's going up and it it is so unhealthy and so um, 
destructive in our, in our heart and our lives many times because we start to depend on what people think. And when we get likes, it, it feeds something in us that is not healthy, and, and it, then it only makes us need it more. And it's almost like a drug. And then we like, well, if somebody doesn't like me, then, then I'm, not, I'm not who I need to be, and, and I don't have friends. And boy, we see that the student suicide rate is up because of things like that. If you do any research, you'll see that because of social media. And yet, we'll do all those things, and, and we, will, we will do all sorts of things, and we'll let fear control us. Fear keeps people from coming to church. Well, I'm afraid. I've just talked to somebody this week. They've been gone for a while, and, I, and they're afraid to come back. They said, what everybody will think? I'm like, well, first of all, probably most, most of them don't even know you're gone, <laughs> unfortunately. And, and, and if you come back, they'll just be happy to see you. They just love to see you. They don't know. Maybe they think you've been coming to the other service. Who knows? Right? People are afraid to get baptized. You heard it in both of them. Nora, I was afraid. I was afraid what people were going to think, what I'd look like. Mara was afraid, had fear. Stand up in front of people. But yet, as we look at all this, we're going to look at it more next week. They're they're acting in faith in a way that it's not even comparison to what we're trying to act in. And we're we're afraid what we're going to look like when we come up out of the water because our hair is going to be wet. I'm serious. That's what people, they they fear standing in front of somebody. They they fear getting on screen, right? And I get it. I mean, I'm not saying those aren't real fears. I'm just saying we have to begin to put things in perspective here. This is a family that was fearing for their life, that were, were fearing for the life of their son, and, and they were putting him in a basket and hoping that God would be faithful and trusting him. And, and they were living a life that was totally against the edict of the, of the king, of Pharaoh. They were stepping into it and trusting God. We fear about talking to people about Jesus. We're going to see next week that we, we will endure a lot if we will step into faith and it, it's hard. It is hard. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says this. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He's saying, look, don't fear men. They have no power over you. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he said, look, if, if you're going to fear something, fear the maker. Fear the creator of the world Have reverence for that. Fear him. That would be a right place of of your fear. Now, as believers, we say, well, we're not called to fear God. Not in the sense of of God is coming after me, but in a sense of his holiness and a reverence for him. We absolutely should have that. And if you want to call that fear, then I think that's okay. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. And so we want to have that. And so Jesus is just saying, look, don't fear men. What can, what can they do to you? They can kill you, yes. But they can't determine where you spend eternity. So the first thing is fear changes what we fear. Number two, faith, cha- faith changes what we choose. Faith changes what we choose. Verse 24 and 25. By faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
So let's get back in the story. Moses now has been given back to to Pharaoh's daughter. Forty years have passed. So he's 40 years old now. He's in the Pharaoh's kingdom. He's enjoying all of the the plush, the riches, the the, the ambiance of all that, that Egypt has to offer. All of it is at his fingertips, right? He is the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He wants it. He can have it. He lives an opulent life. Everything is there. Fine clothing, fine food, all of it is there. Somehow, though, and we don't know exactly how, he understands that he's a Hebrew, that he came from the people that are enslaved right now. And so what does he begin to think? He begins to, and we don't know how he found that out, whether he's always known that. Maybe his mom told him. So maybe his mom says, hey, I pulled you from the Nile one day many years ago, and, and, and you were a little baby boy, and I spared you. We have no idea who your parents are, but, but you know, Moses, you, you can have all of this. I've named you because I've drawn you from the water. This means Moses, and, and you can have all of this. And, and obviously our flesh wants that, and boy, wouldn't you be glad? Wouldn't you be glad that you're not there in slavery and, and being beaten, and, and, and then you, you're, you're, on, you're right there on the throne, basically. And so that's where he's at. And, and so what does the Scripture say here? It says, by faith, when he was grown up, 40 years old, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused. He made a conscious decision to turn away. He looked at his people that were suffering, and he said, I am one of them. And, I, and somehow he's looking at the gods of, of, of Egypt. He's looking at the gods of the Hebrews. Maybe I don't know what he knows at this point, but somehow faith is beginning. has been given to him by God, and he begins to see the reality that the God of the Hebrews is God and not the, not the gods of Egypt. And now he's, he's up to a choice, isn't he? He has to decide, is he going to refuse that life knowing what this other life is going to entail? Scripture says he does. That's why he's, by faith, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It took great courage. But it goes on here and, and further flushes it out. He says, choosing rather, right? Because it's, it's not just saying, I don't want this. It's now, what, what am I going to get? What's going to happen to me in my life? Choosing rather, this is a choice now. This is not something that, that says, well, this is just how it worked out. This is just what happened. No, Moses is making a conscious decision. He's thought out all of this. He knows that if he turns away from Pharaoh's daughter, he turns away from all the riches of Egypt, then he's going to be mistreated, and he's probably going to end up to be a slave. And it says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. See, he, he knew that these people were of, of God. He knew that their faith was, was real somehow, and, and I believe it's because God has infused faith in Moses. With the people of God, then enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And notice what the author says there. Sin is pleasurable. And anybody that tells you otherwise is lying to you. Sin is everything that the flesh wants. It, it, it wants it. And that's why we around here we say we do what we do because we want what we want. Because the flesh, as Paul says in chapter 7 of Romans, is, is wanting what it wants. There's the law of sin working in us. Our flesh just wants this. And, and so everything has been given here to Moses in this lifestyle, in this 
Egyptian culture that he can have, and he's having to make a conscious choice to choose to turn away from all of that. But he knows that if he stays, sin would be pleasurable and be wonderful, and his flesh is desiring that. But one of the things that we know about sin is what? It's fleeting. It's temporary. It is very temporary. I was just talking to someone after first service. We have eternity. If you live to be 80 years old and you enjoy 70 years of sinful behavior, it's fleeting and it is temporary and it is not God-honoring. And you will spend eternity without pleasure, without any type of joy. There's pleasure in living to satisfy the flesh, but it is fleeting and temporary. I like it how Paul says to Timothy in Timothy, 2 Timothy, a letter that he wrote to Timothy, uh, chapter 3, I think verses 1 through 4. Paul says this to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, I just want to stop you and say in the last, in the last days. Okay, this has been 2,000 years old piece of text, and so when are the last days? You could say, well, everybody's thought they were in the last days. That's true. I'm going to stand here and tell you that I think we're in the last days, and I think we should have that opinion, and I don't know if it's tomorrow, if it's 100 years from now, but I think we're in the last days. I think there's no denying that God is, is uh, revealing himself in so many ways, and, and he, now he's going to define the last days a little bit, and so you tell me what you think. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. I love that term, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, you could say, well, that's always been maybe in history. That's, that's true. At some level, that's true of all time, all the way from the garden. But I think that much of this is just so apparent in our culture today, and not just in the Western culture, but all around the world. And I, I notice that what he's saying here is the focus is, on, the primary thing is that we're lovers of self. We're, we're, we're lovers of pleasure for ourselves. And what I would argue here is that for when people are lovers of self, what are the characteristics? What are the adjectives? What are the things, the attributes about those people? And he lists them there. When we are a lover of self, he sandwiches this, these things. He starts out saying, for people will be lovers of self. And then he closes, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And in between these two statements, he basically has a whole litany of things to define what that looks like. They love money, they're arrogant, they're proud, they're abusive, they're disobedient to parents, they're ungrateful, they're unholy, they're heartless, they're slanderous, they're, they're swollen with conceit. He says, so look, if you want to know whether someone's a lover of self, look at those attributes, and if those are the attributes, you will tell you that they are a lover of self. And I think that's where we are in our culture. And what Moses had this, this challenge, was he going to be a lover of self? Was he going to choose all of the riches of Pharaoh and all the things he could have? Or would he choose to say, no, I'm going to trust God. I, I believe that that is true, and so I'm going to follow that even if it costs me all of this pleasure, all of the, a lifetime of, of pleasure. 
He understood. In fact, it goes on here in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 11. He says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Now, you say, well, what do you mean he considered the reproach of Christ? He didn't, he didn't know Jesus. This was way before Jesus. No, but the, the Israelites were looking for a Christ. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. They were looking for a deliverer, right? To deliver them out of bondage at that point even. And, and he, he knew that God was who he said he was and, and the, the Israel believed that that was gonna happen and Moses now is having faith and believing that and so he's willing to trade all of it because he's looking for that. In the scripture, and it says he considered the reproach of Christ greater. In other words, the, the faith that he would have and, and the negative consequences of that choice was greater than all that, that Egypt could give him. All of it. And what, he's, what the author is trying to tie in here, he's saying, is when Moses did that, he's a Christ-like picture. What did Jesus do? Philippians chapter 2, he comes down from heaven, leaving the throne, takes on human flesh, lives among his people, dies on a cross, a brutal death. He leaves everything for something greater. Moses, while he doesn't maybe understand all this, is leaving all of that, and he's going to end up in turn, and we're going to look back, and he's going to be a picture of Christ. Why? Because he's going to lead them out of Egypt. He's going to be the, the tool in the hand of the ultimate deliverer to lead them out of bondage. He's going to be a picture of Christ. And so the author here in Hebrews is just trying to tie this together for his readers in this time. He's saying, no, this is who Moses was, and it's just like we need, there's a reproach of Christ. This is what Christ did. He delivered us, and we can see that picture here all the way back in our forefather, Moses. It goes on there, it says, for he was looking to the reward. Somehow, Moses knew there was something better in the afterlife. The, the Egyptians were clear about the afterlife. There was this afterlife. The Hebrews believed that there was a, a, an afterlife. And so Moses was saying, I, I got to be faithful because I think that something is going to happen after this life. Even in his culture in Egypt, that was true. He, they believed that. And so he was looking for the reward and was willing to trade fleeting pleasure and sin for a lifetime of eternity with God. John says it in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. See, be faithful unto death. Like, trade everything, even your life, but don't worry. I will give you a crown of life. Your hope is in, in me and what I've done. Your hope is not in living forever. It's not in getting a, a massive amount of wealth and a great 401k program. I'm not saying don't be wise. Yes, we should be financially wise, absolutely. But we should never put our hope and our trust there. We shouldn't put it there. It goes on in verse 27 of Hebrews. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So what happens here? Well, Moses one day, he's, he's out and, and he sees... Um, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and, and he basically kills the Egyptian. And he buries him in the sand. He doesn't want anybody to know, because he knows that's going to have dire consequences for him. 
He just went against Pharaoh. He's killed this man. He's buried him. Well, a few days later, there's some other Hebrews, and they're fighting, and Moses says something to them, and they say, oh, you're going to kill us like he killed that guy? So now he knows that it's out there. And Pharaoh finds out. And so now Pharaoh wants to kill him, and so Moses flees. He flees, and he goes into the wilderness, and he gets married, and has wife and children, and he's a herder. He spends 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd and shepherding animals and raising a family. In those 40 years, God is preparing him to come back. You know, it says here that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Many of us over the past few weeks, we've been talking a lot about difficult circumstances and this need to endure. Um, Obviously, some people are still going through that, and many of them will go through that for months and years ahead. Uh, You know, once the funeral's over, once the reality is there, the endurance, uh, where the rubber meets the road, can I live this life out with this knowledge every moment of every day that my wife or my daughter or my grandson or granddaughter is gone, and and will will I ever escape this? And here's where Moses, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger, not being, but he had to endure something. He had to endure all of that. And how did he do that? By seeing him who was invisible. This, this idea that he kept his focus on God and who God was. And, and that time, and you think about, we have so much more than these people did. We have the knowledge of all of Scripture. We see the, the tapestry painted clearly. We can stand back and we can see all of it. We may not ever understand every little detail, but we see the whole tapestry. These people didn't have all that. And yet Moses, God gave Moses the faith to be able to trust in him. This something that he knew was real, that God was who he says he was in the Hebrew culture, and he just trusted in it and he endured and he kept taking steps of faith. I know Jim Siggy's back in the back and 2 Corinthians chapter, seven verse, or, uh, chapter 5, verse 7 is, I think, one of Jim's favorite passages. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Moses was walking by faith. He was walking by faith in God, this God of the Hebrews. He just believed, and God honored that faith. All right, faith changes what we fear, faith changes what we choose. Number three, faith changes what we trust in. Faith changes what we trust in. He's going to give three examples here in verse 28. It's the first one. It says, By faith he, meaning Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So now we're fast forward. He's been 40 years in the wilderness. He's, he's, God has spoke to him and God has said, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to, to deliver my people. I'm going to work through you. Just trust me. And deliver my people. And so you think Moses said, man, I, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> no. Moses like, why send me? Who would, I, who would I tell him sent me? And that's where we see that God says, tell him I am sent you. Right? And so eventually he says, well, I'm not a good speaker. And he says, I'm going to give you your brother Aaron, and he's going to be able to speak for you. And so he goes back into Egypt, the place that he had left, the place that he had abandoned all those things. God is now beginning to use him. And Moses is stepping out in faith and trusting God, going back into a hostile environment where he easily could lose his life. He could get his people killed, and he goes back there. And we know what happens. He goes to Pharaoh, and he says, let, let, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, you've got to be kidding me, right? 
They're building my cities. Get out of my face. Moses, no, says, let my people go. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be, and, and so plagues come, and, and curses come, and frogs come, and all sorts of things come. The Nile turns red, and, and God keeps doing these things to, to break Pharaoh's heart, right? And Pharaoh doesn't break his heart. It doesn't, it hardens his heart. And so then finally, God tells Moses to say, look, tell Pharaoh that all the firstborn in the land are going to die. Every Hebrew baby, every Egyptian baby, every, every baby, firstborn is going to die. Firstborn of the family, I should say. Not firstborn baby, but firstborn of the family. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Pharaoh's going to lose his firstborn. But what does Moses tell the Hebrews? It says, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So what Moses does is he says, okay, we're going to kill an animal, right? And and we're going to put blood over our doorposts and our, our doorposts and the lentil. And what that's going to do is when the angel of death comes to kill the firstborn, it's going to pass over us, and you're not going to lose your firstborn. Now, I don't know. Did, did every Hebrew do that? We don't know. I, probably not. That'd be my guess. Probably not. But many did. Clearly, the Egyptians didn't. And so what happens? All the firstborn die. It comes, and it kills them all. So what did they trust in? They trusted that God would save their firstborn if they acted in faith. I'll come back to that. Hebrews chapter 29, or chapter 11, verse 29. It says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So here what we have is, is finally Pharaoh says, Get out, you've taken my, my, my oldest son, go, my firstborn, go, flee, take our gold, leave. I don't want any more of you when you're God. And so they, millions of people flee Egypt, and, and then Moses or, is taking them out into the wilderness, and they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. He decides now he's going to come, and he's going to kill them in the wilderness. He sends his army. They're backed up against the Red Sea. Moses lifts his staff, lifts his arms. God parts the, the Red Sea, and the whole nation of Israel passes through the sea on dry land, gets to the other side. And they did that by faith. What do you mean they did that by faith? Well, I'm telling you, if you came to the sea and it was parted with water standing on both sides and you decided somebody told you you're going to walk through, I think you're going to have to do that on faith. Because if that water gives way, you're dead. And so they did, and they followed. And they trusted God. You say, well, yeah, but the, the, the Egyptians came and they also stepped in there. Where was their trust? It was not in God. It was in their strength and their power. And what happens? The Israelites get to the other side and God brings the water in and kills the Egyptian army. See, here's the thing. You can have faith in a lot of things. You can have faith almost in anything. But if it's not true faith, it's powerless. It is just a hope. It is just a a wish. Faith in God is completely different. It It is something that you are stepping into because someone is, has control over the future, has control over the circumstances of life, and you're trusting in him to do what he, he's, he's going to do for his purposes and for his glory and usually for our good, almost always for our good if we're believers. And so they stepped in. They trusted that God would hold back the water. 
A third example he gives us in verse 30. He says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So here, we're fast forwarding now. They've they've spent 40 years in the wilderness, right? And they've been wandering, they've been disobedient. Notice how the author skips over all of that. Because that was the time of disobedience. He's covered that in chapters 3 and 4, right? Now he's saying there's there's been another move after their disobedience. Now they're going to cross over the Jordan into the promised land after 40 years. And and so what he tells Joshua to do, he says, Joshua, get the ark, get the priest, and step into the river. It's flowing, step into the river. And they step into the river, and God stops the river after they step in. And they cross over into the Jordan, and then it comes back, and it was... High season, and so there was no return now. They're in the promised land. They're in the Canaanite world, and there's a city called Jericho, and they're going to have to go up against these people. And so God says, okay, what I want you to do, Joshua, is I want you to circle the city. I want you to march around it seven times and blow trumpets. I'm not going to get a little story, and and I'm going to bring the walls down. (laughs) You think they're trusting God here? Like, okay, he just stopped the water. We're going. We've been disobedient. We see what happened. We spent 40 years in the wilderness. We're, we're, we're going to trust God. We're trusting him. And so they, they, they march around the city. They do their thing, right? And, and the walls come down. Now, I want to ask you a question. These three examples, Moses, the blood over the doorstep or over the door and the lentil, right? He, he was trusting God. The people crossed the Red Sea like on dry land. They stepped in. They, they circled the, the city seven times. And even stepping into the, which is not reference here, stepping into the Jordan River with the, with the priests, what had to happen for, for God to, to move? We had to act on our faith. And every one of those situations, couldn't God have said, look, I'm going to take all the Egyptian firstborn. Don't worry about it. I got it. God could have did that. Why would God say, I'm going to take every firstborn unless you do this? Because I want to know if you trust me. I want to know if you believe. Do you have faith? Will you activate your faith? And so he, it's required. Crossing the Jordan. He, the, the priest had to step in the river first. He could have stopped the water and said, now cross. No, he doesn't do that. He said, no, you've got to step in the water first. You need to step forward. Moses needed to step forward and, and deny all that, that, Israel, or that, that Egypt had and, and leave that before God began to move. And, and, and it's... And it's slowly. In other words, we don't see the whole picture. God doesn't give us the whole thing. He's saying, I I love in Scripture where it says, um, the word is a a lamp unto my feet. I say all the time, you know, that lamp only shines about five feet ahead. (laughs) Because God says, I'm not showing you the whole picture. I'm not giving you the whole thing. Because then you wouldn't trust me. You wouldn't need me. You wouldn't depend on me. I'm going to give you five feet. Now trust me. You, You don't know what's in the dark there. Don't worry about what's in the dark. I got it. Know that you, I'm yours. You're mine. I've got you. Trust me, no matter what's going to happen, even if you lose your life, I've got you. Right? You're mine. They had to walk around the city seven times. They had to act on their faith, be obedient to the faith that God had said, now this is what I want you to do. Here's, Here's the thing. Our actions reveal our faith. Our actions reveal our faith. You know, this whole conversation in the book of James, when, when James is talking to the early church there, and they're talking about faith and works, and, and James has this, this great picture here where he talks about, we're going to read a little bit here in a minute, but he's just, he's trying to remind these people, he says, look, you're telling me that you believe, but you have no works. You don't, you don't do anything. I'm telling you, if you've got no works, your faith is dead. You're not saved by your works. Don't hear that. We're only saved by the grace of God, the gift of God through faith. But if you have no works, it's a red flag to say then you probably have never been born again. That's what he's trying to remind them here. 
Our actions are revealed through our faith. Or should say, I reveal our faith. Pick it up in James, chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. James, as he's talking to the church here and he's writing them, he says, <laughs> no, he comes on pretty strong here. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So James says, look, you're a fool. If you think that, that you can have faith and, and not live a holy life, not, not have works in your life, not have any demonstration of fruit, you're a fool. There is no faith there. You, you may think you're somewhere, but you are not where you think you are. Then he goes on, he says, was not Abraham our father justified, which you could say made right, saved, made right? Was our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So he's saying, look, even the father of faith, what did, what, here it is again, though, what did Abraham have to do? He had to step forward and trust God. He had to tie his son to some wood and raise his knife to kill him before God acted. And in our faith, we have to step forward. Most of us do not. We, we say, well, where is God in my life? I don't see him. And I'm saying, you're too busy holding on to the tree. You're too busy. You won't let go. You won't, you won't step out. You won't trust him for anything. And then you want to say, well, why isn't God working in my life? Because you're never trusting him anywhere. You're only looking to yourself. You're only saying, well, what is best for me? I want to stay in Egypt. I want all these pleasures. I don't want to have to do any of these things. I definitely don't want to have to give anything up. I mean, I, I, want, I want all the things that the world has, the American dream, bring it on, I want it all. And surely that's what God wants me to have. That's the word of faith movement. That is not a biblical faith. Number four, faith changes our future. Faith changes our future. It changes our eternal destiny. Without faith, We can't believe in God. Without believing in God, there's no sacrifice for sin. Without Christ, no sacrifice for sin, there's no forgiveness. Only the wrath of God remains. And so we spend eternity in a place called hell. We're saved. I mean, our future is, is, is our faith changes our future. It, it changes our trajectory. It changes everything about us. You know, when Scripture says that that. We're given a heart of flesh over a heart of stone when we believe, when God comes in and makes his home with us. Everything changes. How we look at fear changes. What we trust in changes, right? All of it changes. What we choose, our, our choices, everything changes when we become people of faith. And when I say people of faith, I mean of a Christian faith, trusting in the work of Christ. And so what do we see? See here in as last verse here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. It says, By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she was given a friendly welcome to the spies. Okay, so who's Rahab and what's going on here? So they've crossed over the Jordan, 40 years in the wilderness. They've crossed over the Jordan. Now they're going to, this town called Jericho, they send some spies in. The Israelites send some spies in to see what's going on. And they send some spies and they meet this woman. And she's, her name's Rahab. She's a, she's a prostitute. She's a harlot. And, and she has favor on them. She hides them from the authorities. In fact, she lets them climb out of her window and down and escape. And, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but she believes. 
You say, well, what is she believing in? She, she believes, she's heard the stories of the Hebrew God. <laughs> she's heard it. They've been in the wilderness. They've conquered people in the wilderness. They, she's aware of this. And when she finds out that these people are Hebrews, she said, I believe. I, I believe in your God. She doesn't have anything. She doesn't have the Bible. She doesn't have history, all the things that we have. She trusts because God has put a faith in her. He is doing something in her, and she ends up and becomes part of the lineage of, of Christ. I don't have time to go into all that, but, but she trusts and she hides these guys. And so if you're here today and you think, well, I, I don't have enough to believe. I, I, I've lived a very sinful life. There's no way. Oh, man, I think God is saying, look, Rahab, she was living, she had nothing to offer God. She was a pagan, prostitute, in a culture totally disconnected from God, no knowledge of all the knowledge that we have, and yet she steps out and believes. And what do we see here? She did not perish with those who were disobedient. And so what do we see here? We're saved through faith. We're saved through faith. Rahab had faith. She didn't have to have all the, the biblical knowledge. She didn't have to have all the the theological knowledge that some of us have today and all the access to all of this we have, she just knew that God was who he, that he was in charge. She kind of understood that she was a sinner and she just trusted him, right? It's a little bit like what Mara said in the testimony, right? I just know that if I do it myself, it's going to turn out badly. I just have to let go and trust him. And that's exactly what she was doing. James goes on here in James chapter 2 after he's talking about trying to help them explain this idea of faith and works. And he references Rahab. He says in, this, in verse 25, he says, In the same way, was it not also Rahab the prostitute? Justified, which is being made right, made holy, right? Saved by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. As for the body, apart from the spirit is dead. Also, apart or faith apart from works is dead. He's just saying, Rahab's actions revealed her faith. She acted on her faith. When we, all of this, this whole story is about people, men and women in history, acting upon their faith. And what the author is trying to remind the Hebrews here is, is you guys need to act on your faith. You need to step forward in your faith. You're, you're questioning whether Jesus is who he says he is. I'm telling you, he is the high priest. He's done all these things. You need to step forward now in your faith. You need to act on this faith. And that's what he's saying is, if Rahab can do this, if God had mercy and grace for Rahab, you have no excuse. It's not impossible. God is the one working. Paul says it this way, very well known, scripture, and I'm sure you guys are aware of it. Ephesians 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Works only show faith. And so as we wrap up here this morning, we can see that God gives us faith. It's a gift. He's using it to make himself a people, to call for himself, to transform us. When we live by faith, we change 
when we come to Christ, faith is required. It's, it's part of the process that God is using in us. And when we do, faith changes us. It does not leave us the same. We, we get transformed. The Bible calls it sanctification. We're, we're continually to be transformed. As we grow in faith, we're being sanctified. We're becoming more holy. We're becoming more like Christ. And my question for all of you this morning, if that is true, if we believe that faith changes what we fear, if we believe that it, it changes our decision process, and it, it should, and it does, if it, if it changes what we trust in, and if we think it ultimately changes our future for eternity, then my question to you is, how has faith in Christ changed you? How has it changed you? Because I'll just challenge you with this. If you do not see change in your life, I don't, I would just, I would question whether you've really been born again. Now, it doesn't need to be a dramatic change. Only you know what's happening in your heart. Only you know these things, what, the decisions that you're making, the things that you're choosing. Maybe no one else knows them, but you do. You know that you're saying no to that even though your flesh wants it and you're saying no to it. You know that it used to not be that way in your life. You always said yes to that, and now you're not doing that. You know that you're trusting in God in a way that you never have trusted in God. You're reading the Scripture and you trust what it says in a way that you've never really looked at it that way before. You know that your fears are not the same any longer. That you step into things that used to make you afraid, but, but now you're afraid, but you step in anyway. Look, I will tell you that there are times in my life I am still afraid, but, but faith helps me step into those situations, not pull back from it. That's the whole point of it. God has given us faith to step in. Two weeks ago, and I have these all the time. I mean, I, I'm, I fear what you guys think of me. I fear all sorts of things, and it's sinful. I mean, it's, it's wrong. I'm, I'm constantly repenting for it. But just a few weeks ago when, when Dave Rhodes was, was during second service, we'd hearing that he was, you know, very serious situation, probably not going to make it very long, and I, I knew that we needed to get to the hospital and, and be with the family. And do you think I was like, do you think I had no fear of going to the hospital around a bunch of people that were watching their, 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 their father, their ex-husband die in this bed? Yeah, I had fear. Am I going to say something stupid? Am I, am I going to not say the right thing? Am I not going to comfort them? Am, am I going am I, am I to be able to pray? Am I going to be able to get any comfort? I mean, all those things are racing through my head. And it would have been, my flesh would say, hey, just wait a little while. Let the family do their own thing, and then you can get a hold of them later. Because my fear was telling me to push back. I needed to step in. I needed to step in. A few weeks ago, well, a month or so ago, when the Anderson family was shot, and I found out about it, and I thought I should go. Like, yeah, but all the cops are there, and I should go. I didn't go. I met with the family the next day, and, and I just asked for forgiveness. I said I should have came, but I was afraid. I don't know. I was afraid what to say. I should have just went. I should have pushed in. And they were gracious. They understood. But, but faith has to move us forward. Not blindly, not recklessly, not, 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 not all those things. There's, we think about it. I mean, Moses contemplated these decisions. This isn't just random, oh, I'm just going to trust and be willy-nilly and just believe. No, faith. Something thought out, it is a choice that we make to trust God in certain situations. We should be prayerful about it. 
So I'm just asking you today, how has faith in Christ changed you? Because see, if it hasn't, then you need to pray that God will give you faith. You need to cry out to God and say, God, will you give me faith and allow me to be born again? Will you, will you come inside me and make me a new creation and help me believe? Isn't that what the, the man in, in, the first des- in the New Testament says to Jesus? I believe, but help me in my unbelief, Lord. Help me, help me believe more. Help me have faith because I struggle. What's your takeaway? Takeaway today is a little different. It is a scripture. It is a passage. It is not something that I've created. A passage is always better. It's Hebrews 11.6. It's really the takeaway for today's message. Let me read it to you. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I love how the author puts it there. He says, It's impossible to please God without it. And if faith is an action, if faith is stepping out, and and we're never stepping out, then we're not pleasing him. I'm not saying we've lost your faith. I'm not saying you've lost your salvation, or you can't lose your salvation, that you're not saved. I'm just saying, if you want to be sure about your salvation, you need to look at your life and say, is Christ continually to transform my life? If he is, I I think you should be very, have a, a security in your salvation. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. And forever would draw near to God. So this idea of if we're going to draw near, if we're going to believe, we must believe, it says, that he exists. We must. There's, there's no question about this. We must believe. Rahab believed that he existed. He believed that, she believed that who he was, was was God, the creator of all things. And that he rewards those who seek him. So once we believe, we, this process of continually to seek him, to know more of him. And as we do that, that's a reminder of who we are. If we seek him, we're making different choices. If we seek him, our fears are changing. If we're seeking him, we have a trust in things maybe we didn't trust in before. We're we're seeking him in the scriptures. We're seeking him in our relationship, in our prayer time. We're seeking to know him greater. We're seeking to, to change our future by believing and trusting in that. So as we, as you go from here today, I just, I want you to have discussions over lunch. I want you to have discussions today with your children, with your spouse, with your friends. I want to share with how has God, how has your, your faith in Christ changed you? Don't, just share them. Ask each other, how has faith in Christ changed you? We, we, should, we should step into that. We should be able to share the goodness of God and the great mercy of God and how he's transforming us. I could sit down and talk to you for hours about how God has changed me and continuing to change me. And there's a lot of work that he has left to do. We should be celebrating that. Because faith is a gift of God. And it was given to us to make us people of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for these wonderful testimonies that have happened today and we know those are possible because you have worked in their hearts and made them a new creation in Christ. You have caused them to die to self and to be raised with Christ. That is all your doing. And Father, help us to stand in awe of it. Help us to just continue to seek after you, to put our trust in you. Help us to choose you over the world. Help us not fear man, but 
Help us have a reverence for you. And Father, help us to trust you with our future. For eternity. Help us not to trade the most beautiful thing for a few fleeting moments of pleasure in this world. Satan offered Jesus everything. And he chose you. May we follow in those footsteps. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.